Super Talk Mississippi media production. Find your new ride at Kia McCombs all-new location at the corner of I-55 and Highway 98. Come find out why McComb loves Kia McComb at the corner of I-55 and Highway 98. Right on the corner, right on the price. Howdy, howdy, it's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Everyone and welcome to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. I'm your host Gerard Gibbard, along with Rhino in the Element Wealth Studio, guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder, and fine music. As we kick off a brand new week here, Rhino, it is September the 11th. Wow, 22 years since that fateful, tragic day. We shall never forget, that is for sure. And in fact, today on the program at 11.05, Stephen Scoltetti, professor of philosophy, chair of philosophy and religion at the University of Mississippi, also the director of the newly created Declaration of Independence Center for the Study of American Freedom. And he'll talk about that. And also discuss Senator Tim Scott, candidate for president, coming to speak at the university later on this month. There really to kind of commemorate the opening of the Declaration of Independence Center. But it's 9-11, and it's one of those days, of course, all of us who were around September eleventh, two 2001, remember where we were. I guess for me, the assassination of John F. Kennedy when I was a child. Can't uh, ever forget about where I was then. Uh, The moon landing, 1969 for me. But certainly 9-11, I think most people that were around then would be able to tell you, yeah, here's where I was, here's what I thought. Thoughts on that? Oh, yeah. I mean, I vividly remember sitting in Coach Pugh's 10th grade history class, and there was a knock at the door, and it was Coach Pulliam coming to pull Coach Pugh out and let him know what had happened. And then after a brief pause with them out in the hallway and us going, what, what's mm-hmm. going on? But there was a buzz, but none of the news had really broken, and there wasn't social media the way there is now where everybody has instant access to information. So we're just sitting there waiting, and then in, com- in comes Coach Pugh, and he goes, I had lessons prepared for today, but instead we're going to watch history. And he walked over to the TV and turned it on, and we sat there and watched. And it wasn't long after he turned the TV on that the, the first fi- the first tower fell. And it was oddly sobering, I guess is a word, 
because you, you immediately went from today's just another day to wow this this is changing everything yeah and the the ultimate irony of it for me was i had recently rigged up my discman to play through the cassette adapter <laughs> in my car and the cassette adapter didn't work so i moved to a backup to a little am fm transmitter that had connected to the discman and i had it all worked out had the discman velcroed to the dash of the car and the song i listened to on the way to school that morning was louis armstrong's what a wonderful world <laughs> that's interesting but i'll never forget that i don't think anybody again who was alive then will and let's be honest shouldn't shouldn't it is um Forever ingrained in one's head. I was at the Division of Medicaid. They were a client at the time, and we were discussing a, a project that uh, an IT project we had just been awarded to help improve some of the operations and efficiencies at the uh, Division of Medicaid, 2001. And and they had televisions where we were and. Uh, you know, you saw the images, and then we headed back to my office. We had just built a small data center. It was our first kind of entree into that, right over here in Ridgeland, not far from where we're sitting right now, a block down from our main office. And, and of course, as part of a data center environment, you would have televisions constantly tuned to news and weather. So you would be aware of anything that might affect data center operations, but we were all down there gathered around the television watching in disbelief. It was disbelief, honestly, because what sticks out in my head was just the pristine weather. It was uh, September in New York is kind of like our October, where you get those really super big highs that sit on top of the area blue skies, calm wind, moderate temperatures, and just just the contrast of all this death and destruction and, and smoke billowing from those those buildings with those just clear blue skies in the background. I don't know why that kind of sticks in my head. It's like, no, you're not supposed to mess that up, you know, when you have that, uh, that kind of weather. But uh, sad, for sure. We shall never forget. I did tune in this morning to watch uh, some of the ceremonies, the events, of course, in New York and Washington and Pennsylvania, site of the carnage, sites of the carnage. One person conspicuously missing, that would be the president of the United States. And he has enraged the 9-11 families because he did not go to any of those memorial sites. Um, on the anniversary of these attacks, the first president ever to do so, ever to not be present. He is in Alaska, returning from a G20 summit and over there negotiating with the government of Vietnam. Kamala was sent in his stead. I believe she went to one location, and the first, or second, pardon me, the second gentleman, 
went elsewhere. Let's see. Let's figure out where they went. I think Kamala was in New York, if I'm not mistaken. And I think the second gentleman went to Pennsylvania. I believe I got that right. Is uh, was the schedule. Corrine Jean-Pierre said, President Biden plans to honor the lives lost and the families of loved ones who still feel the pain of this terrible day. Right, but he wasn't at the sites where he should be. What's up with that? That um, seems totally inappropriate and uncaring, honestly. Shows just lack of concern and and uh, lack of commitment to remember. I don't think I'm over-reading that. He was, uh, of course, he's en route back to Washington, again, as we indicated, following a trip across the pond to India and Vietnam. And he's scheduled to speak later today at Joint Base Elmendorf-Richardson in Anchorage, Alaska. That's right. And the vice president in New York. Man. But uh, the the families of the victims, not happy about the president dissing them, shouldn't be. He's 3,000 miles away while these ceremonies are occurring. That's not right. It's just simply not right. But the memorials went on, honoring Lives lost in the deadliest attack on American soil. She's Jerry and Pontotoc said it worked. We watched the towers fell later that night. My two sons were asleep as I looked at them. I cried and thank God they were alive and safe. I'll never forget. Gerard, please tell me Kamala didn't get, do that nervous laugh at the memorial event, says Mose. I, I can't tell you, Mose. I don't know. I've, I've only seen camera panning across the crowd from New York this morning, and I saw her standing among the crowd. I was in class at Delta State on the ceasefire text line, and an active police officer. My brother was an active firefighter, both of us in Mississippi. My pager at the time kept going off with my friends and family in the Northeast. I told the class what was going on, and eventually classes were canceled. I will, in all caps, never forget. So, yeah, I think it's etched in everybody's brain where they were, what was going on, the events of that day. It did feel like that uh, the world stood still. I believe there's a famous song to that effect. And it, it certainly felt that way. And in the days after, uh I'm going to share another thought about why I think it's really abhorrent that the president is not at one of these three sites after the break here in the Element Well studio. Stay with us. We're coming right back. That September day. Now back to Middays with Gerard here on Super Talk Mississippi.
yourself Yeah, country love And a mercy more than life America Welcome back, everyone. Thank you for that, Rhino. The great Ray Charles. Maybe my favorite rendition of the song, America the Beautiful. Yeah, Alan Jackson. We played that going out of the last segment. Where were you when the world stopped? And that it does seem like that was the case. On the C Spire text line, let's see, we had uh, uh, Chris from Oxford. Yep, I was at my first sales job out of graduating Ole Miss working in Memphis. I'll never forget I was riding down Shelby Drive when the president ordered all planes to be grounded. I looked up in the air, and airplanes were all just circling like mosquitoes waiting to land. No doubt that was surreal. It was eerie. So before we went to break there, I just had a thought about the president not being present at one of the three sites where memorial services are held, have been, since 9-11. And historically, the sitting president has been at one of those sites for the ceremonies. This president did not schedule to be there. Here's why I think that's particularly disgusting and disgraceful. It's because what I remember as much as anything, and I and I hope most people see this as well and recall this, is in the wake of that, that day, the tragedy of that day, I'm not sure in my lifetime I've ever seen Americans come together, regardless of policy or uh, positions, political affiliation, area, region of the country one lives in. We did seemingly coalesce around this issue and... And I guess joined together and united in a way that I I can't recall in my lifetime. And for the president to skip out on these events at a time when we, gosh, we need to unite and to come together under some, some degree of common beliefs and common goals and objectives, one of those surely we could agree on is that we never want terrorism to occur inside our borders, much less anywhere else in the world. And it was those acts of terror that did unite us. We all felt some sense of pride in the country and Many people were mad. I mean, we were disgusted at what we saw. How could this happen? 
Who are these people who are so evil, intentionally wanted to inflict this sort of carnage, death, destruction on this country? And we all felt rage. I remember President at the time, George W. Bush, going to the site. You remember with a bullhorn. We're going to get these people that did this with his arm around one of the members of the fire department of New York. I mean, that kind of those kinds of visions and those scenes we just don't have in a time when we desperately need it because we're so deeply polarized, it feels. And all I, the only point I'm making here is it doesn't make sense to me at a time when, again, those feelings, those sentiments are so desperately needed that the leader of the country is not even present. Now, there may be people out there, Rhino, that say, oh, Gerard, you're just going through your normal attacks on President Biden because you don't like him and he's a Democrat and all that stuff. I'll tell you, if this were a Republican and they skipped out and they weren't present, I'd be doing the same thing. This isn't about party, person, policy. It's just about what's right. It's about the dignity of this nation. And you're the top of the list of representatives of it, and your actions reflect the entire country. And and this, to me, is an inexcusable action. It's not like he doesn't have a way to get there. It's not like he couldn't have... They couldn't have scheduled the event, the G20, to work through that. So there's no excuse, in my view. And it's it's concerning, totally concerning that he's not around. You know, one of the things, just from a business perspective, that I remember so vividly was all of our all of our efforts and systems and procedures to deal with these sorts of of uh, loss losses of primary IT systems like it or not our our lives rely on these systems can't function without it anymore and you know our industry had had worked tirelessly for, honestly, for decades to develop all these disaster recovery systems. The problem is most of them back then were based on loss of primary mainframe systems, didn't have all this pervasive high-speed connectivity like we do today. And the the approach was you've got backups of your data and your and your programs are stored, by the way. Let's just take a, a bank, brokerage firm, whatever the the uh, entity is. I'm just thinking about what you had a lot of in those buildings, for example. But bottom line is you would have somewhere distantly the same technical environment that's just sitting there on standby with your software, your application programs loaded up, current, Maintained, updated, ready to go, just add data. 
So the idea was you take your backup data, which would be typically stored off-site. You usually have generations of it. That's the uh, that's the model that's used. And you'd have some on-site and some off-site. And you'd take the media. Back then it was tape. And you'd get on an airplane. Somebody would be assigned to that, fly to the backup site, mount that media, restore it, and boom, you're back in business. Only one little problem that we didn't anticipate. First, airplanes weren't flying, and you had to go a long way. Intentionally, you don't want the the backup sites being within some proximity of distance to the primary, because if you experienced a disaster at the primary, you want to make sure that the backup, and it could be multiple backups, are far enough away that they wouldn't be affected by the same disaster. So first, airplanes weren't flying. Second, the technical people you needed to uh, to, to work that process, to restore that data, and stand up those systems to re- recover, they weren't getting on airplanes. They weren't traveling to leave their families. Don't blame them. So it's good news, bad news thing. Is The bad news was we didn't really have very good disaster recovery systems to accommodate that situation. The good news was it woke up the industry and all sorts of novel disaster recovery and technology to provide resilience in the event of loss of primary systems evolved. It completely changed that world so that we don't have those same sorts of risks and threats. But man, that that woke us all up because a bunch of money was spent on all that and and it's continuous. You don't just do it one time. It's continuous spending to maintain those backup systems. And when you needed them the most, they were unavailable. Just sharing a little anecdote there about how that changed the world, and certainly it did in in my business experience, for the better, at least as far as that's concerned. Coming right back with more. Stay with us. You're listening to Middays with Gerard. Gerard Gibbert, here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. It's Middays. We're in the Element Wealth Studio on this 9-11, September the 11th, 2001. No doubt, changed the world forever. I got to say this, it's been bugging me. Do you think that Representative Elon Omar who seems to honestly be more pro-Muslim than she is pro-American, 
How does she recognize this day? Do you think she recognizes it in favor of those who attack this country? Applauds them? Or does she feel some degree of sadness in some solemnity? I don't know. Is that a fair question? Just based on some crazy things she said. You know, she, very anti-Israel, believes Israel is the problem in the Middle East. They're the bad actor. Not those nations that harbor terrorists who seek to wipe Israel off the map. Honestly, they seek to wipe us off the map. They hate our way of life. What's really crazy about it to me, Rhino, is that all this, these culture wars that we've seen emerge in the last couple of years, the Me Too movement as an example, and all the, um, all the other gender ideology stuff, and all these, these calls for equity, well, those nations really do treat certain people I won't even call them second-class members of their society. They're, like, not even regarded as legitimate members of their society. Pretty sure women top that list. What about gay people? How do they feel about them? I don't think too... They're too friendly to those lifestyles. Is there not conflict there? When she's part of a party that thinks we ought to just go out of our way with every accommodation, even if it means suppressing the rights, and let's be honest, the money of others, just go out of our way to give special preferential treatment to certain people categories. Hell, in those nations, they don't. Whatsoever, That just seems like a conflict to me. And I don't know that she's the only one. Ariana Presley, another squad member, also is, uh, is one that uh, you've seen some of that crazy rhetoric come from. Let's, let's not just defund the police. Let's dismantle. Let's just open up the prisons, let everybody out, all the jails. Let's just completely eradicate law enforcement. You've seen that. Just crazy. Uh, but I, I just wonder what goes through their minds on this day. Do they feel the same sadness and grief that we do? It's you know it's a it's kind of a conflicting range of emotions. It's sadness, it's grief, and it's anger at the people who perpetrated those attacks. You can't not feel that when you see it, as I am right now on the television in the in the studio. It's pretty much been nonstop, as it should be. Got it on the business channel, as we remember 9-11. And I'm looking at these scenes from the site of the towers. It's just incredible that this would happen on American soil. But I do worry about some who might 
be on the other side of where we are as we feel anger towards those who committed those acts. And honestly, to some extent, breakdowns in our own government for not recognizing credible threats. There were signs. They knew it. You just wonder if there wasn't either incompetence, political correctness at play, perhaps a combination, little of both. Those are concerning issues. Neil in Greenwood says, I was getting ready for class at Mississippi State. The shock quickly gave way to anger and sadness. The ROTC detachment set up TVs in all the class buildings. All classes were soon canceled. I was at the Marietta Junior High in Mississippi. Oh, pardon me, Miss, Mrs. Clifford's seventh grade math class when we got the announcement. This is Matt in New Sight, Mississippi. I got to my grandparents' house in time to see another plane at the towers. Our president has forgotten and doesn't care. He only cares about eating ice cream, patting his pockets, and sniffing young children. He is no leader. You know what I've seen more coming out of the Democrat Party the last few days is this just this desperate concern and panic about their poll numbers. They're worried about, why don't Americans just see how great this president is? Why, why are his poll numbers floundering? Why is he even close to Trump in hypothetical matchup? Nikki Haley, by the way, in polls, is leading in a head-to-head match. She's the only Republican candidate leading Biden for what that's worth in polls. I know we got a long way to go. Rocky and Mark says, that day everyone, in all caps, was united and was nice to each other for weeks to come. Strangers hugging each other. We will never forget. I agree, Rocky. And that's why I'm, as you can tell, upset about the fact that the president isn't present. Because this is a chance, Rhino, to to unite. We were told we had to to vote for this guy because he's going to restore the soul of the nation. Remember that? refrain over and over again and Donald Trump is the most divisive president in history he's got to go you know there were certainly some aspects of Donald Trump's personality I think that divide but how could you not look at this guy and say that he doesn't divide of course he does these people they thrive the left thrives on putting everybody into these kind of tidy little groups, these little buckets that they like to. It's this group versus that group. It's the oppressed versus the oppressors, for example. They thrive on that. I don't see anything coming out of this guy or Democrats that would unite Americans for some common cause and purpose. I don't see any of that. And certainly an opportunity to do so on a day where maybe – we can set aside our differences. And he's a no-show. Incredible. Tim and McGee says, the second thing I remember most about this horrible tragedy was all the U.S. Congress and Senate on the steps of the Capitol together as one. I, I agree, Tim. I remember that image as well. 
Also, with a never forget slogan, says Todd from Brandon, by Biden not showing up, it makes you think people are forgetting when we shouldn't be, especially our sitting president. So I saw a report, I think I got the numbers right here, Rhino, that only 18 states require information about the 9-11 tragedy being included in high school or K-12 curricula. Only 18 states require that in their uh, pedagogy. That's probably not surprising, unfortunately. I'll have to give a shout-out to my my daughter, who was a teacher for many years, taught English, English English language arts-related subjects on 9-11, always spent 9-11 not talking about English and language, but 9-11, fearing that maybe some kids in her classes didn't know, weren't around then, obviously. Didn't know. And she would take the time to educate, to inform. How in, could, unless history class has changed dramatically since I was in middle school, high school, you rarely get anywhere close to current events. Like the the majority of time we spent talking about quote-unquote current events, a.k.a. anything after World War II, was we didn't start the fire by Billy Joel doing a project on that and looking up and writing a line about every single line in that song. Oh, my gosh. Well, it's my opinion that the 9-11 event should be taught in every school in this nation. And I don't mean sugarcoating it. I mean honest, factual account. People wanted to inflict this harm and damage and kill Americans, and that's what ought to be taught. It's their goofy culture. We're coming right back with more. Stephen Scoltetti from Ole Miss. You're listening to Middays with Gerard here on Super Talk Mississippi. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a, a difficult moment for America. I um, unfortunately will be going back to Washington after my remarks. Secretary of Rod Page and Lieutenant Governor <clears throat> will take the podium and discuss education. I do want to thank the folks here at, uh, at uh, Booker Elementary School for their hospitality. Uh, today, we've had a national tragedy. Uh, two airplanes have crashed into the World Trade Center in an apparent terrorist attack on our country. I have spoken to the Vice President, to the Governor of New York, to the Director of the FBI, and I've ordered that the full resources of the federal government uh, go to help the victims and their families and, the, and to conduct a full-scale investigation to hunt down and to find those folks who committed this act. Terrorism against our nation will not stand. And now if you join me in a moment of silence. May God bless the victims, their families, and America. Thank you very much.
Welcome back, everyone. Middays on this 9-11. Appreciate that, uh, Rhino. I just don't know if we'd get anything like that out of Joe Biden were he to be president at that time. I'm particularly concerned about the fact that the Democrats' focus the last few days has been on poll numbers. They, They just care about protecting their power. And their power curve, and they're worried about this president who seems at this point to be the nominee for the party. And they're concerned that Americans just, they're they're not getting it. They just don't feel how great everything is. So tone deaf, it's unbelievable. Let's see. When did presidents stop going to Pearl Harbor? I don't know the answer to that. That's on the ceasefire text line, by the way. I think something that's a bit different is that while that was an attack on American soil, that was an attack on a military installation and not civilians. From, if memory serves me correctly, there weren't any official commemorations or memorials for Pearl Harbor until Johnson, I want to say, put out an executive order declaring that December 7th was Pearl Harbor Day. And then it wasn't again until, was it under Clinton in the 90s that Congress... Made it a national holiday. Hmm. Let's also remember Hawaii was not yet a state. It was a territory. Became a state in 1959. Became a, a territory in 1898. So uh, I get the feeling that this person on the ceasefire tax line is trying to excuse Joe Biden's lack of attending one of the events. I could be wrong. just feels like that. It's because he cannot put together a speech. He said on a speech recently that he had to look at his instructions on what he was to do on the ceasefire text line. I don't know if you guys caught it, but, uh, Rhino, if you saw this, he had to be bailed out while he was speaking at the podium at the G20 summit. He was just mumbling and bumbling and not making any sense. And I know that a lot of people say, well, of course, he's always like that. And this was a little different. I don't have any sound. But uh read a report about it. Saw some still photos of it. But apparently he had to be interrupted by someone in his, his entourage to kind of take over. And then, of course, wouldn't take any questions. So all that is uh, certainly a concern. It should be a concern because this is the commander-in-chief, and we keep getting told by folks in his orbit, such as the White House press secretary, that all is well, that everything's just great. This guy's got endless energy, and he's completely cogent, cognitive, possesses all of his faculties, and it's it's a concern. I mean, not just because I don't agree with him on his policy positions, but it's a concern because he has such broad power and he represents this country to the world. 
And it is a cause for legitimate concern, I believe. I won't back down on that. We're stepping aside for a break. It's time for Fox News, Super Talk News. Stephen Scaltetti, Chair of Philosophy and Religion at Ole Miss, is up next. You're home for... And now... And now... Another hour of the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Begin your transition now. Now on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Hour two of Middays live from the Element Well studio on this September 11th, September 11th, 22 years removed from those uh, brutal attacks on our country, the Twin Towers falling later on in the day, watching the uh, the reports here in the studio uh, on the Business Channel, 22 years. We're marking that day today. Joining us now, Stephen Scoltetti, Professor of Philosophy, Chair of Philosophy and Religion at the University of Mississippi, also the Director of the Declaration of Independence Center for the Study of American Freedom. Professor, good to see you again, sir. Oh, it's so great to reconnect with you, Gerard. Yeah, so uh, I appreciate that. The uh, Declaration of Independence Center, what, what a fitting day that we discussed that. For sure, because we are reminded, or we not, we should be reminded on a regular basis, but certainly on this day, that freedom is not free. And I believe, though, we, we've got lots of challenges, lots of issues, lots of flaws. We still got it better than anybody else, in, in my opinion. And it's, it's, um, I think it warrants that we recognize that, that we study that, that we embody that, and that's what we're doing at this rather newly minted Declaration of Independence Center for the Study of American Freedom at Ole Miss. You were, of course, instrumental in the creation of that. Tell us about the background, the catalyst. How did this come about? Uh, well, when I heard uh, about the Declaration of Independence Center, um, I approached the chancellor and said I'd be happy uh, to take it on because I believe firmly uh, that students, faculty, and citizens across the state need to be thinking uh, carefully and often about the nature of freedom. <laughs> it's really that, uh, that simple. And so I've been, uh, over the last two years, developing a number of programs um, that'll uh, make sure that freedom, liberty, independence uh, gets studied in a careful and academic way. Yeah, and it's you're right. It is something that uh, needs to be continuously studied. It seems like sometimes we, we tend to drift away from that, and we're seeing examples of infringement on some of these freedoms uh, in our country. And let's be honest, uh, you're aware of this in particular in the university, in the college environment, uh, re- recent studies show that Harvard got a zero in free speech. A zero. That's hard to believe. And, and this is one of the world's leading academic institutions right here in our country. Uh, incredible legacy produced so many fabulous graduates that have contributed so much to society. 
But what's going on with that? Why, why is it that we see so much infringement on these just basic freedoms, do you think? Well, I think part of it um, is that freedom just ends up being something that we take for granted, um, and it just falls off uh, the radar screen uh, for a lot of people. Uh, we, we, uh, you know, we get in so many fights about this issue or that issue uh, that we don't take time to step back and reflect about, you know, what do we mean uh, when we say that we're free? I mean, what, what do we mean when we say uh, that we believe in liberty? And I think because people don't think about it enough, um, it's very easy uh, to just not notice when it's being taken away. Um, I, I should say, in particular, the University of Mississippi has done a great job uh, developing a policy uh, to protect uh, freedom of expression here uh, on the Oxford campus, and that's something uh, we should be proud of here in the state. Yeah, absolutely. So I have a theory I'll share with you about that, uh, Professor. I've said uh, said it a few times on the program here. I believe that incumbency has a lot to do with it. And I think that's similar to the point you're making, that we don't think about it a lot. I think that's because we got it so dang good, even with all of our problems, we have it so good, it's not like most of us are worried about where's my next meal coming from. And I'm not trying to downplay those that are experiencing any sort of struggles whatsoever in their life. But just in general, uh, we've got a pretty good situation, and we tend to, I think, as, we, as time goes on, we tend to forget about just the struggles we endured through the generations to create that that good quality of life. Uh, no, I think that's uh, absolutely right. And, uh, you know, it's important it's a simple point, um, but it's important to remember that um, I think all Americans and all Mississippians believe uh, that there should be, you know, liberty and justice for all. Um, and I think so many of our debates focus pretty narrowly on questions of justice, yeah. uh, which, you know, are important. Justice is important. But a lot of times we get so focused in that that we're we don't step back and think about, you know, the big kind of relationship between liberty and justice and how should those be balanced. And, you know, why should we take liberty seriously in our lives and and why should we, we why should we be willing, you know, to spend time and energy and resources uh, protecting liberty just as much as we would want to protect justice? So the center itself, uh, Professor, give us some ideas of, of exactly the sort of content, sort of activities. I know we got a big event coming up uh, with Senator Tim Scott uh, visiting uh, Mississippi and specifically at the University of Mississippi. So, so tell us about sort of what the focus is and, and how students can avail themselves of this and even others in the state, because it's not just for students. And then, of course, the senator coming in. Yeah, well, so I divide up what the center is doing into student-focused things, faculty-oriented things, but then also events for the public. Um, so let me start with the students. As you mentioned earlier, um, I've worked very hard uh, to get a Freedom Studies minor um, passed right. um, and, and put in the academic catalog here at the University of Mississippi. And I'm really excited uh, that We'll be offering our first Freedom Studies classes uh, in the spring of this academic year. 
And so that really gives students the opportunity uh, not only to learn about sort of the background, about the, the history and meaning of freedom, but allow them to focus really narrowly on the idea of freedom and think about what does freedom mean in economics? Uh, what does liberty mean in our constitutional tradition? Um, what does freedom mean in our conception of ourselves as, as human beings? And so um, in this freedom studies minor, I think students will really be able to put this important concept, uh, you know, kind of the forefront of their mind. But in addition, I'm also developing a number of tangible opportunities for students. I'm going to be offering uh, freedom studies scholarships, um, and I'll be announcing uh, more about that here over the upcoming semester. In addition to that, I am developing a number of opportunities for faculty across the state. Um, I've been reaching out to my peers at Mississippi State, Mississippi College, Millsaps, and other places, uh, looking for professors who also think that freedom uh, is something uh, that should be taught regularly and should be focused on. Um, and so I'll be looking to sponsor research uh, for faculty going forward. But the final thing, as you mentioned, is the Declaration Center is putting on a number of public events. Um, and we're very excited and honored uh, that Senator Tim Scott uh, will be here at the University of Mississippi on September 29th, uh, which is that Friday night right before the LSU football game uh, the next day. Yeah. Yeah, that's just that's, that's so awesome. And and do, do you think maybe we'll start a movement here? I know you said you've reached out to uh, some of your uh, your peers, uh, your contemporaries on the other campuses in Mississippi. Might we see a movement across the country to kind of counterbalance this sort of movement towards, I feel like, just brainwashing college-level students into alternative alternative, I should say, government and economic models? Well, I mean, I think universities work best when there's genuine and profound viewpoint diversity. Uh, you know, students, when they come to uh, uh, in, into a realm of higher education, they really need to be able to understand that there are profoundly different views among very intelligent and smart people, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that the world really, is, the world really isn't divided into the well-informed versus the ignorant. Uh, you <laughs> Good know, point. The, the 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 elite and wise versus the ignorant deplorables. Yeah. I mean, the the world is filled with debate among very intelligent people, and you know, I want to do my part um, to preserve that tradition of a well-rounded higher education. And I agree with you too, um, Gerard. I think across the country, a lot of academics are feeling like um, they've got to stand up and do something to preserve this this sort of tradition of viewpoint diversity, profound so. viewpoint diversity in higher education. I hope so. Professor, really appreciate you joining us, uh, and uh, I know the event's going to be fantastic. Thank you, sir, for your efforts in, in turning this into a reality. The faculty, of course, for signing off on it, and Chancellor Boyce as well for getting behind this. My good friend Barry Canada, as you know, was instrumental in this uh, becoming of age as well. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Let's do this. On Super Talk Mississippi. Let's do
flying slow And the flag's been flying low And a lot of people saying that America's fixing to fall But speaking just for me And some people from Tennessee We got a thing or two to tell you all This lady may have stumbled The great Charlie Daniels there <laughs> That's a good one there I really appreciate the professor coming uh, on the program to talk about the new Declaration of Independence Center for the Study of American Freedom at my alma mater, Ole Miss. I did have the uh, the pleasure of meeting uh, with the professor, I think it was about this time last year, one-on-one when, when this idea was uh, still in process. And he's a really smart, delightful person and met right there in the Union. Rhino had coffee with him and just totally enjoyed the conversation. Share philosophy and religion. And let's be honest, typically folks that um, are in the academic community in those subjects usually are more left-leaning. Would you say that's fair, Rhino? Oh, yeah. But... Gosh, he said which is what is just music to my ears, which is we've got to restore diversity of thought in the university environment. That, that of all places, is where there should be open arms, welcome to all points of view. Let the students figure it out on their own. That's where you develop critical thinking skills. But you can't do that when you're only getting one side. And I think that's just happening all too often because it's, unfortunately, it's instructors with an agenda. And so many of them, I feel like, are just, they're miserable. And it's like, well, I, I, this is kind of how I'm going to manage my misery by indoctrinating these impressionable students with points of view that just not only just go against the grain, but tend to, or at least attempt to repudiate our great founding in history. America's just evil, wicked, and it's just got to be tossed aside and started over. Reimagine. What do they call it? It's white colonial. Yeah, you got to decolonize it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Deconstruct and decolonize. That's it. Deconstruct. Yeah. Dismantle, deconstruct, decolonize. Well, rational people, I think, can agree that we've got stains in our past because we're humans. And we messed up. But it sure seems to me like in every single case that you could point to in our country's history... We addressed it. We rebounded. We we responded to it, I should say. We rebounded, and we improved time after time. And the founders told us this, that we would be in pursuit constantly of a more perfect union. We get that because we're humans. Man, but it's still better. The, the idea of, oh, we just got to gotta abandon that. We got to deconstruct it, dismantle it. Well, that's just horse hockey. I don't agree with that. So, and, you know, I think about this idea of all these campuses that have in America that have all these these um, 
these organizations to which you can report like hate speech. I can't think. They got all these really proper, sophisticated names. You know what I'm talking about? These acronyms, forward names <laughs> of these entities, these departments on campus where you can go report. They misgendered me. Stuff like that. And then you have these safe spaces and these free speech spaces. What do you mean free speech space? Every inch of the campus is a damn free speech space. It's America. There's a reason why that's the First Amendment. And this is where Harvard scored a zero in free speech. Zero. That's essential to a free society. And you know what, in my view, makes America great? Is that you can spout hate speech. Well, let's be honest. About 90% of what the left deems as hate speech. Just a differing opinion. Yeah. Oh, you hurt somebody's feelings. Use the wrong gender. Some garbage like that. You didn't toe the line they drew, so obviously you're a hateful person. Well, hell, to them, lots of them, America the Beautiful is hate speech. The, The national anthem is hate speech. They can find hate speech in any speech. They twist it, turn it, manipulate it, distort it, contort it to make it be whatever they want. And then sulk about it, get enraged about it. Want to cite you, kick you off campus. Hell, I read a story the other day about a professor. No, actually, I think it was a high school teacher, if I'm not mistaken, that uh, discussed in a biology class the biological differences between males and females and really boiled it down to the chromosome structure that we're all familiar with, XX versus XY, and got terminated for it. Was brought back, sued, was brought back. That's crazy. So I'm proud. I'm glad to see uh, the focus on this, and, and more importantly, I was talking to Rhino about this on the on the break, but this degrees that uh, I know when I talked to the professor about this time last year, that was in the works. He had an effort underway to create such a degree, which is fantastic. And, and that requires, if I'm not mistaken, approval by faculty. Maybe it's the faculty senate. Maybe it's a certain, I don't know the exact rules, but you can't just, as a department head, say, hey, look, we're creating a new degree. There's got to be some additional approvals that are required. The chancellor, of course, and then members of the faculty. But I'm glad to see that went through. That's fantastic. Um, it's, it's crazy when you think about having to work to get that through, but if you want to come up with some other nutcase degree like we have plenty of, oh, no problem with that. I still don't even know what the heck gender studies is. What is that? Why does that take four years? (laughs) How hard can that be? And, you know, there's other crazy stuff we've talked about on the program. None of them come to mind right now, but... The philosophy of Harry Potter. That is one, isn't it? I know it's at least a class. It's a class. It's, a it's not degree. a degree, but it's a class. Right. So uh, this is only fitting that we should have 
<laughs> a degree in the study of freedom, it's pretty important to, to continuing that line of thought, preserving freedom, is to understand. How did we get here? What are the roots of it? What what was the catalyst? The genesis. I still say that, and, and the professor said it, I think, correctly, accurately. Yeah, we just don't think about it a lot. And I would say that, yeah, that's my, that's my point about the incumbency thing. We don't think about it a lot because we don't have to. But we sure did when we got attacked on 9-11-2001. Kind of hit home. It thrust it into reality. Yeah, there's people out there that want to take us out. And they could. Meanwhile, our military, the people who we depend on to defend our nation and to keep us safe, to prevent and deter such attacks. Heck, they're all wrapped up in where you can get an abortion. we got to make sure we assign certain people in certain states because they may need an abortion. Gender change. I saw a video by a member of the military that was talking about getting some sort of gender surgery on the tab of the military focused on that and recruiting that we've shared on the program before, recruiting video commercials produced by the military, commissioned by the military, that are recruiting children of same-sex marriage couples. I mean, why do we need a whole video commercial on that? Stuff like that. Meanwhile, our most ardent foes around the globe are plotting our demise with, like, real bullets and weapons and stuff. And this is what we're all tied up in. It's it's cause for concern. At a minimum, cause for concern. we got half an hour left on the program. Don't forget, Super Talk Outdoors with Ricky Matthews comes up at noon. It's 9-11, 22 years after that dreadful day when America was attacked on its own soil, and we shall not forget it. We're coming right back. Bring it on. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. It is on. On Super Talk Mississippi. American girls and American guys will always stand up and salute. We'll always recognize when we see old glory flying. There's a lot of men dead so we can sleep in peace at night when we lay down our heads. My daddy served in the army. We lost his right eye, but he flew a flag out in our yard. Till the day that he died, he wanted my mother, my brother, my sister and me. Welcome back. It is midday's final half hour of the program today. Ricky Matthews, Super Talk Outdoors coming up next. We're in the studio all week here except Thursday. We are at the Empower Mississippi Unleash Mississippi event. Looking forward to that. On the ceasefire text line, 
high school senior history class. Remember everyone coming into our, um, our class that had a TV and just sitting and watching. Never will forget it. Also says only hate speech when it's not their speech or agrees with them. Seems like it. Still haven't mentioned the flight schools warned the government that these guys didn't care about learning to land the jet. Yeah, I, I, I agree. That's Kyle in Indianola. I, I said earlier, Kyle, that I do think that we had some institutional failures in our government. Didn't heed some of the, what appeared to me to be obvious and conspicuous, shall we say, anomalies that needed to be heeded. I agree with you on that. Guys, don't forget another billion to Ukraine, says James in Oxford. Yeah, we hadn't forgotten. Uh, you know, I I know there's a lot of focus on that. What difference does it make when you got a $2 trillion deficit? By the way, the president, and I'm not saying that a billion is, is irrelevant, and I'm not trying to downplay that. But I'm just making the point that it's not like, well, money's going to Ukraine. That means we don't have it to go elsewhere. No, that doesn't ever enter the equation in terms of the, the spending and appropriation in the federal government. Uh, that there, there's nothing about money going to Ukraine that's holding it up from going somewhere else. That's just choice. Bad choice, but it's choice. So the president, even this weekend, once again was erroneously touting his deficit reduction, trying to get Americans to appreciate how wonderful he's been for the economy of this country, completely oblivious to the fact that we're about three weeks away from closing out the fiscal year 2023 from the federal government's perspective, the fiscal year, and we're going to register a two trillion dollar deficit now consider that we spend 6.3 trillion two trillion of that spending is over and above revenue meantime the irs announces that with this money they got out of the inflation reduction act they're going after they say 1600 rich people who owe two hundred fifty thousand dollars I don't know how the heck they came up with that. I really don't. But that's the report that they're going after. They're going to crack down on 1,600 millionaires who owe at least $250,000 each in back taxes and 75 large business partnerships that have assets of roughly $10 billion. They don't say in that case that they know for for a fact that there's some illegal tax evasion committed by these large partnerships, these 75. They're just going after them. Uh, Put me down as skeptical on these 1,600 that owe at least $250,000 each in back taxes. And while that's certainly a significant amount of money, in the scheme of things, it's really not. It's $400 million. I'm not saying that's pocket change, but it's what, about 10 minutes of spending? Woohoo, 400 million. So, the question is how much are we going to spend chasing that? 
There's got to be an ROI in the calculation as well. They also say, and this is where they're wrong. I've seen some reports from some left-wing publications that the rich in this country evaded $163 billion of taxes, that they're going after them. Well, and so the same reports get into the details. And these are reputable publications and, and media sources. They're just left-leaning. Then they get into the details. I started looking at that. The ways in which the rich avoid the these 163, actually evade is what they said, 163 billion of taxes. No, it was legal tax avoidance. No evasion. Evasion, illegal. Avoidance, legal. So you can go chase them all day long, but they didn't break any laws. It's the tax code. Voted on. Implemented. Codified. By Republicans and Democrats alike. You don't like it, change it. It gets into some complicated stuff about setting up charitable organizations, foundations, if you will, and you can contribute to that, write it off, and they only have to contribute 5% to the cause and so forth. Sure. I get it. But there's still money coming out of their pocket going into those organizations. Um, And, yeah, you may consider that a so-called loophole, and that's fine. But it's not illegal. It's not evasion. It's just frustrating that we can't get the truth. One billion to Ukraine matters because a hundred million comes back to our politicians, says Michael in Brookhaven. How does that work, Michael? Do you have some specifics on that? Like who got how much and how they got it? I'm serious. I mean, I hear that all the time, but I've not seen any empirical evidence of it. If a household earns 100000 this is Jared on the ceasefire tax line in Hurley, 100000 annually, how much would they be spending annually if you ran the same deficit as the federal government, just to put it uh, in perspective? Well, uh, it's, it's, good, it's a good question, and uh, it's, let's see, I'd have, to think, I'd have to think about it, but if you look at the income relative to the deficit, Fifty percent. So you'd have to say spend a hundred thousand to produce that same level of deficit. Uh, yeah, fifty percent, hundred fifty thousand. It's the way it'd have to work. How many of the sixteen hundred were also felons in possession of a firearm? Says William and Brandon. Mm, probably none. Not sure what you're talking about there, William. You you think that's why they're going after him? I, I don't, honestly. I mean, I understand what you're saying, but I, that's a stretch. Gerard, you could have just stopped it. The president is completely oblivious. <laughs> Stephen Brookhaven, 22 years ago, I saw what happened from the break room where I worked. Within minutes, every Islamic migrant that worked left their jobs and joined parades in the streets of Dearborn, Michigan. I couldn't believe that we were basically officially at war with these people. I do remember that. You remember that, Rhino? We had some that were celebrating. That's That was my point about Representative Elon Omar. She considered this a day of victory. I don't think that's a stretch, honestly, based on some of the crazy stuff she said.
I really don't. It's terrible. It's a person sitting in the U.S. Congress. Let's see. Gender studies and the philosophy of Harry Potter are for the folks not living in reality on the ceasefire text line. Only hate speech when it's not their speech or agrees with them. That's, I agree. That's true on the ceasefire text line. Thank you for your interview with the professor, says Chris in Pontotoc. The freedom studies he spoke of sound intriguing. I have a master's in American history, and I'm always seeking new opportunities to learn. That's great, Chris. I would uh, suggest you check it out. He, he's uh, The professor's brilliant, and he's got a passion for this, and I'm, I'm proud, honestly. And I'm, I'm grateful for all involved in making this a reality. They don't teach that kind of thinking these days, to how to think for ourselves. Yeah, here we go. I'm sorry. I had an insurance teacher at Delta State 20 years ago that gave open book tests. He said his job was not to teach us the answers, but how to find the answers for ourselves. They don't teach these kind of thinking these days. You know, that's it's actually a very good point, and I agree. Successful people in society, one of the traits you'll find is common is they're incredibly resourceful. And the good news today is every fact known to man is at your fingertips. It doesn't take the effort it once did to find information. Just be resourceful. That, that by the way, was a, a one of the list of values at my company was to be resourceful, especially in an industry where there's just new information every single day. Figure it out. You don't always have the answers tucked in your brain when you're dealing with an issue, a problem, a challenge, figure it out. Be resourceful. I agree. That's what we should be teaching everybody. Let's see. They already have to a degree. Yep. We're coming right back with a final segment of a Middays and then Ricky Matthews with Super Talk Outdoors After. Stay with us. Have you forgotten Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Keep rolling. Three, two, one. On Super Talk Mississippi. As we mourn the loss of thousands of our citizens. I can hear you. I can hear you. The rest of the world hears you. And the people... Studio final segment on this Monday. Ricky Matthews has got it. Afternoon, 
Richie Biloxi says, and yet Facebook blocks most imaging of the towers to protect the weak of mine. I don't know about that, Rich. My feed has been just absolutely jam-packed full of images of the towers. So, I, I mean, I I don't know about that. Um, certainly not doing it for me. Um, and lots of my friends who are interacting with my post on it. So I don't, I don't believe that's the case. I don't. I don't know that Facebook's got any agenda there. I'm more worried about the likes of Representative Elon Omar and Ariana Presley and who is it in Missouri? Is it um, Cory Bush, I think, that's wanting to... leave out Tlaib. Yeah, Tlaib, right. Forgot uh, about her, part of the squad, Rashida Tlaib. Uh, that's what I worry about is these folks are sitting in the U.S. Congress. I'm just not sure how they feel about this day, honestly. Mo said, I was stationed on Oahu for four years. There's an elaborate memorial every December 7th. I bought this vanity plate after 9-11. Oh, yeah. That's pretty cool there. I'm proud to be an American with an eagle and the flag in the background. Sent that in. Oh, there was something else. Uh, let's see. Casey, what did you send here? Huh. Oh, is this uh, some of the content? Systemic racism in the healthcare system. I can't tell where this is, though, the um, the screenshot. You looking at that from, from Casey? Social studies, Nearpod. Is this at the local school system, Casey, in Ocean Springs? It looks like some crazy stuff there that, yeah, it pretty much illustrates what we were talking about. Being concerned with abortions isn't mutually exclusive with also being worried about the nation's security, says Dwight. Sure is a giant waste of time and energy, though. Yeah. Hmm. I don't get that. I don't know what you're trying to say there, Dwight. I, it's, it doesn't really make any sense to me. It's, but um, being concerned about the nation's security should and abortion should be everybody's concern, in my view. I, I see them both as harmful acts. And they are. Uh, or certainly the nation's security puts... I said risk for harmful acts. In the case of 9-11, those acts were manifested, got through our security. So I'm not sure what point's trying to be made there. Let's see. I'm looking for some other posts. Folks are telling us where they were. Who said earlier, Danny, I was on a project in Trinidad on 9-11, when I returned home to the suburbs of Philly eight days later, I saw flags at every residence. Now only a few people put out flags on national holiday. Tis a shame, Danny and Starville. Interesting, Danny. You remember they canceled, Rhino, for a while, sporting events, college football. And the very first event I went to after 9-11 was um, a football game with some friends of mine, Mississippi State fans in Starville played um, South Carolina 
I think Lou Holtz was the coach, if I'm not mistaken, then. And all I can remember, I can still see it in my head today, was the biggest American flag on that football field I've ever seen in my life. It seemed like it covered the whole field. It was so appropriate, and it was um, it was heartwarming and just evoked a sense of, of pride and patriotism. It was just great to celebrate that. You know, and... Though I'm I'm not the state fan that my friends were, you just felt like, I don't know if anybody really cares who wins this game as much as they do, that we're together, we're doing American things, we're enjoying college football, which is a huge part of American life. And it was just as as much to say we're thumbing your nose at these people that want to change American life. You lost. We won. You may have won that day. But we, we win in the long run. Freedom will always win. America will always be the greatest nation ever devised. We're out of here today. Back with you tomorrow. Stay safe. God bless. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.